Hello and welcome to Chatterbox, your one-stop shop for all things new on TV. I'm Sarah Morgan. I developed square eyes as a child and so was duty-bound to spend my entire adult life as a TV and film critic who loves crime dramas, Doctor Who and Clint Eastwood. Joining me are Chris Daniel. Hi, my name is Chris. During the day I'm a media listings editor and I spend my time writing, checking and changing things for sport channels. And by night I like to spend my time watching lots of American sports programmes, lots of American TV shows and lots and lots of things about politics. And Roger Crowe. Hello, I'm Roger. I've been writing about TV and film for nearly 30 years and I once had a cameo in Coronation Street. This week we're looking at programmes from week commencing 8th of February. If you can believe that it is actually February already. Come around quick. Yeah. Really, really quick. Before you know it, we'll be celebrating Christmas. But God anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> a whole extra day February this year. Oh, God, yeah. Added bonus. Sort of. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, just a quick apology for any background noise that you can hear, but unfortunately, we're in a room with a very, very noisy aircon system. Yeah, some. We can't switch off. Some so. EJ's has stolen our room, hasn't he? So yes, we've got to come and sit in here instead. So, anyway, if you're wondering what it is, that's what it is. So this week we're going to be looking at uh, what we're currently enjoying on TV. We're also going to be looking at programmes that are coming up that we're looking forward to. And we've got each chosen a film that we feel is the best of the forthcoming week. Oh, I don't know if um, mine is Chris, the best. Chris, Chris is building up to something extraordinary. Um, we've no idea what it is. Is it West Wing the movie? It's not, no. But shame, if they'd made Western movie, you know I would watch it. Well, they pretty much did, and it was going to be very impressive. Aaron Sorkin's first one. Well, he did that before the Western Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was his trial run, I think. That was a beta mm-hmm. test. Anyway, uh, I'll get the ball rolling, because we'll, we'll leave Chris until last, because we're, we're building up to this film. So, what I'm watching at the minute, anyway, is The Outsider, which is on Mondays on Sky Atlantic on 9pm. Has either of you guys watched it yet? No. no. Um, Right, well, I'll better tell you what I <laughs> A 10 part series based on a Stephen King novel. Um, so, as you probably guessed, it's kind of a bit spooky. Yeah. But it's also a crime drama. Um, ben Mendelssohn takes the lead role, plays a detective. And at first, it seems like a fairly straightforward case. Uh, a child has been abducted and murdered and in horrific circumstances. It's quite nice. horrible, actually. <laughs> um, and they think that they've got the guy who's done it. It seems absolutely obvious. It's this local um, sort of kids sports coach, mm, yeah. Terry Maitland, we call him, played by Jason Bateman. Um, and you know his fingerprints are all over this the van that the kid was transported in. His DNA is in it. There's other forensic evidence. It's, they've got eyewitnesses. It's absolutely. It can't be possibly be anybody else. <laughs> Nailed on. Yeah. Nailed on. But yeah. then Terry Maitland says, "Well, hang on. On that day." I was 70 miles away right. at a conference right. and then there's video footage of Terry Maitland at this conference okay. um, and they've, they've even got fingerprints of him being in this hotel, blah blah blah. Yeah. So how could the same guy be in two places at mm. once? Yeah. And that's basically how it starts. Twin brother. Twin, twin, no, he doesn't have a twin brother. That's the first thing you've got to roll out that's in these circumstances. Thing, yeah, they do that pretty, pretty early on. Um, but then it turns out that there are other cases, other similar cases, right. where people have been accused of these terrible child murders. Right. There's an overwhelming evidence against them, but they claim that they were somewhere else. Okay. So it's take. I think I'm four episodes in, so it's kind of really very puzzling indeed. <laughs> you know, where who are these doppelgangers? Yeah, aliens. Aliens <laughs> could be. Could be Pre- prestige-style clones. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. It's really kind of dark and macabre, and also in it is Cynthia Erivo, who is a bit of a name at the minute. She's been Oscar nominated British actress. All right. She's Oscar nominated for a role in Harriet, and also for co-writing the song from it. So she's she's up for two Oscars. Okay. Um, at the moment, but she's in it as a, as a private investigator that, the, that Ben Mendelsohn's character is working with to try and find out, well, what the hell is going on, basically. That sounds really yeah. good. I'll have to check that out. I think you should check it. I think you'd really mm. like it, Rod, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's just... I'm, I'm just completely and utterly hooked on it. Mm. I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about it now. I'm not speaking about it. I'm thinking... What the hell is going on? Yeah. I, don't, I don't need much persuasion when it comes to uh, Ben Mendelsohn because I think he's magnificent. He's such a great I don't actor. know that I've seen him in anything else. Actually, it seems really familiar, mm. but I, but then I can't think where I might. Oh, there was in Rogue One, the Star Wars. Which you won't. Ready Player One. No. Not seen that. No. Uh, Captain Marvel. No. Not right. Seen that it either. didn't really look like himself in that though, either, did he? He didn't. He didn't. For I think he reminds me reasons. of another Australian actor whose name escapes me at the minute. Is it Noah? Somebody who's been in loads of stuff. Taylor? Yes. He right. reminds, reminds me of him. He was in Shine and Team yeah, and things like that, right? Yeah. There was a yeah. Netflix series that Ben Mendelsohn was in as well, wasn't he? Oh, I'm not surprised. Well, he's the most ubiquitous uh, renter villain going at the moment. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Again, because he is absolutely superb. He was in a film uh, called Startup, which was the first time I've heard of him, which was a, a gangster drama. Um, set in prison mm. and then Hollywood just jumped on him and, and got, got him for everything so this sounds really good actually yeah and I, I mean Cynthia Erivo is fantastic in it because the PI that she's playing I don't know if she's supposed to be autistic or right. know, Asperger's or something like that but there's something she's a really unusual character and she's really good with sort of figures and yeah. um, got a brilliant memory and she's not a, a, she's not very good socially shall we say yeah. um, and it's just a really really great performance from her as well in fact I think really she's she's kind of the one that I'm sort of hooked on rather than, mm. than his character in a way because he's, he's a detective he's quite a run of the mill kind of a okay detective. sounds really good so yeah I, I'd heartily recommend that to anybody especially anybody who happens to like crime dramas and is a Stephen King fan oh yeah and the other thing is Cynthia Erivo's character Holly Gibney she also appears in some Stephen King's other books as well. Oh, so if right. you've watched Mr. Mercedes, yeah. the adaptation of those, she uh, the same character is in that, but obviously it's a different there's person. A, there's a lot of this Stephen King crossover going on at the moment because there's yeah. that second series, is it Castle Rock? Castle Rock coming back on. Where the not Fraggle Rock. Not Fraggle Rock. <laughs> not to be confused with Stephen King's Fraggle Rock. Which I would oh, that would be so good. Surely, the, surely that's a Netflix thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> Annie, Annie Wilkes from Misery is a feature in yeah, it, isn't young, she? Which sounds Wilkes, really interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's cool. So anyway, that's The Outsider. That's on Mondays on Sky Atlantic at 9pm. And I'm assuming that you can get it on their catch-up service. Yeah, I think you can. It's always appearing up on my Skybox as well to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to listen to this podcast again, uh, obviously, later, just to remind myself what I need to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is that yeah, handy for me. You like. need a section what you should be watching. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, anyway, what I'm looking forward to this week is The Pale Horse, which is a two-part adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel, yeah. which starts on Sunday on BBC One at 9pm. Um, another all-star cast, Rufus Sewell, Sean Pertwee and Rita Tushingham are the really big names in it. Yeah. Um, Sarah Phelps, who's written all the other recent Agatha Christie adaptations, she's done this one as well. Right. I'm a little bit... 
ambivalent about her work, to be honest. Okay. Um, I tend to think that, because I, I really like Agatha Christie, and I think that somebody who's been a bestseller for a hundred years, there's probably a reason for that, and that the stories don't actually need tampering with. Yeah, sure. But Sarah Phelps does tamper with them. Okay. But I read, but I mean, she she is sort of a marmite writer because you'll get people like me who are sort of traditionalists where right. Christie's concerned, but then you'll get the same amount of people who really applaud what Sarah Phelps is doing. Right. So I don't think there's a right a right or wrong. It's just it's just a matter. Yeah, of fair enough. It's mm. a little bit like uh, Christmas Carol um, over the festive period, which was quite a controversial adaptation, I think. And you just think, well, why tinker the original? Because it was yeah. so good. Um, so yeah, you're always going to get contentious uh, issues with any adaptation, I think. But uh, you've got you've got to love Christie. She's just such a genius. Well, you say that. So no, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've read a Agatha Christie book. Okay. So a couple of years ago, I thought, well, I've never read one, and obviously everyone knows the name of Agatha Christie. Yeah. I'll try a book. So I read *The Murder on the Orient Express*, and I found it quite dull. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, have, you seen, have you seen the uh, so, Have you seen the Kenneth Branagh version? No, that put me off reading the book actually. Right, so because really? I just thought, what's the point? It's a bit dull. Yeah. So well, that has been sort of modernised because they've turned him, turned Poirot into more of an action hero. Yeah. It's totally not what he is. Mm. And it was such a letdown because it's one of those uh, stories where if you actually know the ending, and I saw it a couple of years ago, uh, it, it's a really well put together thing, but it just goes, uh, as soon as the train stops, mm. I know we're off, off on a bit of a tangent, but as soon as the train stops, I lost all interest. Yeah. Because I knew the outcome, they haven't changed it at all, and you just go, well, that's it, mm. what a waste. So hopefully when he does um, the new version of Death on the Nile, Branagh. Um, it'll be a more interesting version because I don't know that as well, perhaps. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> um, anyway, Pale Horse, the book, at any rate, is a little bit different for Agatha Christie because she she uh, published it in 1961, which is when Dennis Wheatley was sort of the height of his fame. Okay. Um, and he, he wrote kind of supernatural thrills. I was best known for writing supernatural thrills, often with a sort of a cult bent. Uh, and so Pale Horse is kind of, I think, sort of inspired by his work right. so I think it's going to be a little bit different it's not a, it's not a Christie that I've read actually I've tended to stick with her earlier stuff which is 1961 which is a little bit later mm. okay so I think it would be interesting to see but what does surprise me is that this year marks the 100th anniversary of the publication of The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which was Agatha Christie's first book Right. So why have they not adapted that instead? That it would seem like an obvious well, maybe they are. point. Well, that's Some, it. Maybe someone else has got the rights. I mm. think it's, well, no, because the, the rights are owned by Agatha Christie Limited, so oh, okay. they kind of decide right. what's what. Um, so I don't know whether they're going to wait until later in the years. I think it's kind of October is the actual year anniversary. Right, yeah. But, yeah. It seems like if they don't do it this year, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, uh, we shall see. So anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to with the Pale Horse, and that's on Sunday on BBC One at nine pm, and then the following Sunday after that is mm. the final episode. Right. And the film that I'm going to watch this week because I haven't watched it since I saw it at the cinema, and that's Reservoir Dogs, which wow. is on Wednesday on Film Four at eleven or five pm. Um, the thing is, when I saw it at the, at the cinema, I was absolutely horrified by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <wooden> car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but surprised. I think, I think in the years since, I've kind of got used to that sort of thing a little bit more. Yeah. And also, 
I've kind of got used to Quentin Tarantino where it, it's coming around to the fact that I think of myself as a bit of a fan now. Whereas yeah. back then I kind of thought, eh, I'm not really sure about this. So well, this was his feature debut, I this think, is wasn't his it? Feature it was. Debut, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, and we're all star cast. I'm not really quite sure how he managed it, and I'm not really quite sure how he had the tenacity to put himself as an actor alongside yeah. people like Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth. And Some people just have no shame. Some so. people don't have any shame. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think you're probably right there. I think the, the, the rumour was that um, uh, Harvey Keitel was given the script at a barbecue. <laughs> um, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So uh, that, that was a time though when Harvey Keitel was making a different film every sort of three hours. Oh, co- completely. Mm-hmm. I think was there was one. Everything. There was one point maybe a, a year after Reservoir Dogs, maybe about '93, that uh, he was in five or six films that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all massively high profile, but yeah, Reservoir Dogs, what a film. Incredible. Plot recap for anyone who's not seen it, because it must be about 25 years old now, is it? Sometimes? Well, it's basically oh, a heist that goes wrong, isn't it? And then yeah, it's, it's all about it's the aftermath, The aftermath of it, and mm. trying to pick apart who's betrayed them. Yeah. yeah. In a nutshell, very simple, it's in a way. loosely inspired by Ringo Lamb's 1987 film, City on Fire, just for reference, apparently. Well, all Tarantino's films are inspired by... Yeah something else yeah it usually film. takes an amalgamation of different yeah. ideas from different films doesn't he so because um, is that the film where he got the idea from a, the code name like Mr White and I Mr think, Pink I think so I've never seen the film but I'm, mm. I need to watch it at some point but um, yeah I mean, the film is uh, Reservoir Dogs is, is terrific although it's not a film you can watch a lot of it's, it's so dark and it's just a bit once you know it and once mm. you've seen it I don't feel the urge to watch it again but I love the soundtrack, I love the editing, the pacing on it is amazing. Yeah. And the cast is super, especially once uh, Quentin Tarantino leaves the party, if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not it, the greatest the, actor that ever lived. I mean, I, I think it's no coincidence that every time Tarantino's in one of his own films, it, it drip, dips a little bit. Yeah. And there's no coincidence that I think one of his best films in the last 10, 20 years is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because you only hear him yeah, on the soundtrack. Yeah, you actually have to see him. And that's such a better film for him. <laughs> he, he ruined Django and Tra- and Chain for about two minutes when he was in the, as a playing an Australian oh, towards yeah, the end. Bad, yeah. Oh, <laughs> someone really should have a word with him. He's uh, you know he's not doing himself. Any like I some people have no shame. No, it, so and it's such a shame because he makes such great films. He's such a great screenwriter. Yeah, I mean this one it's really simple premise, isn't it? Because I think mm-hmm. the majority of it's just spent in a warehouse. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and Tim Roth's character is yeah, like dying on the floor for most of it. But Did anyone see compelling. the James Corden spoof recently where no. they recreated it with Madison and Steve Buscemi? No. Uh, for his um, show, chat show in the States, which was really funny actually. I mean, they, they did a, a brilliant job. Uh, Tim Roth, that was it. Tim Roth and uh, Steve Buscemi. Mm. Um, yeah, brilliant. Such a good soundtrack as well. Stephen Wright, who's such, such a great um, surrealist comic, if you like. That I've always been a fan of. When I found out he'd worked on this, I was just super chuffed. So uh, if you only give it a look or listen for that alone, then it's worth it, I think. So, I, I mean, for me, it'd be like watching it afresh, yeah. to be honest, mm. which is a good thing, I think, in a way. Yeah. So anyway, that's Reservoir Dogs. That's on Wednesday on Film 4 at 11.05pm. Right, Fantastic. So, Rog, since I was still leaving Chris until last <laughs> um, Rog, what are you currently watching? So, I'm currently watching quite a lot of stuff, really. A lot of quite average soaps, I must say. I could go on about Coronation Street and EastEnders all day. But yeah, please don't. Um, <laughs> my... my uh, my pleasure, uh, certainly on a first thing on a Friday, uh, as soon as it kind of arrives on Amazon, I'll watch uh, Picard before I come to work because I'm a bit obsessed uh, and it's unfolding really nicely. Uh, Patrick Stewart giving a fantastic performance 
as the eponymous captain who um, is uh, investigating a mystery involving a young woman that comes back into his life and there's cameos from people like uh, Brett Spiner as Data, the, uh, the robot, and uh, a few other uh, faces from the past. And it's, uh, it's really interesting because Patrick Stewart's pushing 80. Uh, his character's about 92 in this, and he's so <laughs> frail, you think he's going to fall apart. Right. Um, and there's, uh, there's an Irish actress, uh, Ola Brady, in it, who's superb. She's sort of channeling uh, Father Ted at, at one point. Uh, I won't repeat what she says in, in episode two, but it's hilarious. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just it's a great little mystery, and there's, there's elements from one of um, Star Trek Next Generation's greatest foes, and the Romulans, who are a little bit like the Klingons, arch enemies. And the way they're sort of weaving things together is really interesting. British actor Harry Treadway is uh, really interesting in it as well. So uh, if you're a fan of Trek or not, uh, and you, but you are a fan of uh, Patrick Stewart, that's well worth a look. So new episodes dropping every uh, Friday. I'm uh, a big fan of really big muscular dogs, and he's got one. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much of the dog in that. I mean, literally, too. that's not a euphemism. Yeah. The big yeah, dog, I really Patrick do, Stewart. I really do like big dogs. dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a pit bull type thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they do, you know, his dog does tend to steal, uh, I think he's called number one. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, which yeah, is, which quite is what Lieutenant Riker yeah. was called in is the... Is it uh, a bit like um, Brad Pitt's dog in Once Upon a Time? Oh, the, he's fabulous, that dog. I mean, he, you know, if there's an award for the best dog in a film, then he'd win it hands down. And it's only a matter of time before they have an award for the yeah. best dog, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be voting every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, it, as with the BAFTAs, there weren't enough dogs featured in the, this year's BAFTA Awards. It'll be like cats. Rebel Wilson's stunning <laughs> speech. If you've not seen that speech, you need to track it down. It's one of the funniest things you'll see all year. So that's uh, Picard on uh, Amazon Prime. But if you haven't got Prime and you prefer uh, a, a quiz that's streaming across the week, I have become strangely obsessed with House of Games, which is uh, terrestrial weekdays, 52, 6pm, uh, Monday to Friday. Now, it's pretty simple. Uh, Richard Osman basically poses a series of uh, questions uh, to uh, four or five guests, and uh, the winner uh, of each episode is like an aggregate review, I think, at the end of each episode, and then the winner is decided overall. Um, the guests can be a little bit hit and miss, uh, obviously, depending on, you know, you're not going to like all the guests. In this case, it's uh, Nicky Chapman, Vic Hope, Gethin Jones, and Tim Vine, the glorious Tim Vine, <laughs> who is reason enough, I think, to tune in. Um, so they're going to be uh, competing across the week and I think that, that should be fantastic not least because if you're a fan of Pointless like I am a bit addicted to Pointless uh, it's a classic case of watching Pointless at 5.15 till 6 watching 5 minutes of the news because let's face it that's all it's worth and then flipping over to BBC 2 obviously Chris could do this <laughs> Chris just watch the news oh, absolutely do you know back in the day the news only used to last 20 minutes at 6pm so oh, I'm, I'm looking back at maybe 30, 40 years ago yeah. that's all they'd do 20 minutes of news at 6pm uh, and then they'd have 40 minutes of nationwide and local regional films but anyway that's by the by no I mean usually I'm at work until 6 o'clock anyway, yeah, yeah. so I don't get home until quarter to 7 so well, you, can, you can always watch all the 6 o'clock news you can always watch online catch up which I tend to do if I'm working on it so uh, that is uh, what I'm currently watching um, now what I'm looking forward to Sunday night at the London Palladium mm. which um it's one of those, yeah, yeah. It's it's well. It's one of those classic shows that um, it's hard to believe now, but back in the nineteen sixties, uh, they came up with um, this showstopper of a variety show hosted by Bruce Forsyth, which basically set the template for TV as we know it. You know, these days when TV's been around for decades, mm. it's hard to remember that 
in the early days, they didn't know what to put out and when. So Sunday Night at the London Palladium became the staple for, for British TV in the 60s when TV was in its infancy. Yeah. And this was, again, the show that uh, launched Bruce Forsyth onto a long and illustrious career. Yes, I don't think it was the original host, was no. it? And didn't it start on Saturday nights as well? Very possibly, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a few years before my time. So have we got this to blame for all the crappy uh, talent shows we have yeah. on Saturday nights nowadays? Yeah, so pretty, much, yeah. pretty much. Uh, like I say, it set the template. So there's a, there's a few um, memorable uh, characters in this. Uh, Adam Faith, the, the classic crooner that went on to appear in a show called Budgie, was a little bit before your time, Chris. And, and yours, sir. Well, I, no, I remember it. when it was repeated right. um, in the early days of Channel 4, I used to watch it with my grandma when she was babysitting for me. Right. I suspect that I shouldn't really have been allowed to watch it, but, okay. uh, but I did. Yeah, it's Ian Cuthbertson. Yes. As well, yeah. So uh, he's in it, and uh, the John Barry Seven. Now, this was just before John Barry started scoring all the Bond films. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that should be really interesting if you're a massive fan yeah, of Barry. I'll tell you what would have been more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what would have been more interesting. The John Barrowman 7. John Barrowman 7. <laughs> 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 oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> if they put that on, then I will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see him appear in uh, Doctor Who the other day after, after a good old uh, laugh. Oh, was so, he? Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, that's uh, something like the one who played him. Also stars the wonderful Beryl Reed, who Reed. is much oh, missed. She's Reed. absolutely glorious. Sunday the uh, 9th of uh, February, Talking Pictures at 9 o'clock that is. So uh, just a quick mention for Uncut Gems which is on Netflix which I can't stand Adam Sandler. Uh, I've only ever liked one or two of his films over the past 20 odd years. How many? Yeah um, <laughs> and uh, this is his best film, best performance hands down by any actor of the last year or so. Ooh. He's almost channeling Al Pacino. Um, at his best, in the, I'm sort of talking mid 70s. Uh, it's by uh, the Safdie brothers who uh, have created this absolutely compelling thriller. It's so gritty, fast talking, breathless, energetic, and just edge of the seat tension. Um, and if you're a fan of basketball, you'll like it even more because it all sort of stems from this character called Ratner, who's a jeweler. And that, that is not an in joke because the Safdie brothers had no idea who Gerald Ratner <laughs> yeah. was in the 80s. And I don't think you do either, you do no. you, Chris? Okay, I was so, thinking Brett Ratner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so by the by, Gerald Ratner was um, a jeweller who ran the chain Ratners in the 1980s. And during one ill-fated speech, he decided to uh, tell it as it was, or how he saw it was. Oh, yes. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. And he basically that, yeah. um, torpedoed his home business yeah, in yeah. one stunning move. Yeah. So no connection to that, but... It's a bit like watching one guy implode over the course of a couple of hours. Like I say, if you get a chance, it's it's just been released on the big screen, and it's um, it's one of the most impressive films Netflix has ever put out, I think. And they've been a bit hit and miss over the last couple of years, and obviously their their products such as uh, The Irishman have been up for uh, Oscars and Roma. So I think I don't know whether this was released too late to get Oscar noms, but if it was. I don't think it was actually. Right. Um, it was tipped, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. It was the fact it wasn't nominated, because yeah. Adam Sandler. I think, did he get a nomination for the Screen Actors Guild Award? Okay, maybe? possibly. I think. Yeah. Or It'll be, or 
Yeah, something like that. I think it'd be really interesting because if, if it was too late for the Oscars, I think it'd be in a, with a serious chance this time I, next year. I don't think it was because some of the podcasts I've been listening oh, to recently right. have been speaking about award season stuff, and that film has been getting a mention because right. some of the people who have seen it have just said, "Oh my god, I can't stand this film." Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. So, but there's also an actress who is going to be everywhere in the next couple of years called Julia Fox, and she plays uh, Adam Sandler's um, uh, mistress in this film. And she is a force to be reckoned with. A really interesting, great mm. performance from uh, from all, and just the most amazing third act you'll see all year. You, I think you'll really like it, Chris, because I know you're a bit of a sports fan. Yeah, it's one problem. I got rid of my Netflix, didn't oh, I? Oh so, no! Yeah, I well, go it. see it on the big screen if you can. That means going outside with those people. I know. So <laughs> anyway, um, that was just thrown in that last minute. But um, my um, film of the uh, week on terrestrial is Wind River on Film Four. Has anyone seen? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, well, I did actually, and I knew nothing about it. Um, I saw it as a double bill with It uh, a couple of years ago (laughs) on the first day that was released, and uh, I thought I'll give this a look because I like Taylor Taylor Sheridan, who did the marvelous uh, Hello High Water, that Jeff Bridges film. Yeah, that is very good. I do like that a lot. Superb, Mm -hmm. and did Sicario as well, and has just done this series uh, which is showing on uh, one of the five peripheral five channels called Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. Um, so this stars, features a really good perform- performance from uh, Jeremy Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen of Avengers fame. All oh, right. And uh, so he plays this veteran hunter who uh, he helps an FBI agent, aka Elizabeth Olsen, investigate the murder of a young woman on a Wyoming Native American reservation. And it's just one of the most compelling little indie flicks, I guess, mm. uh, of recent years. And the wintry landscapes are beautiful. Renner is always good, good value. I think he's, he's one of the most interesting uh, actors of his generation. So, uh, yeah, give that a look. So that's Wind River Film for February 13th at 9pm. So we've built it up, Chris. And there you go. It is my turn, isn't it? I'm sorry, but I'm going to let you both down horrendously. <laughs> um, so what I'm watching, I've not really been watching anything at the moment. I just can't get into anything. Nothing's really taken me interest. But because it is award season, and I've not seen any of the films which are up for awards, I thought I would try and catch up on some of these things. Uh, so I started with Joker, which is currently ah. available on Sky Star, and I think you can yeah. buy or rent it on other various platforms. And it is probably one of the more talked about films of the last six mm. months, I would say. And rather interestingly, with you saying that Adam Sandler gives one of the best performances of the last year or so, yeah. um, I don't know, I'm kind of intrigued to see that now, because mm. I think Joaquin Phoenix in Joker is outstanding. Right. I mean, to say that either of you seen I still haven't seen it, and I really no, want to. It's surprisingly good, actually. Mm. I mean, it's very dark and sinister and unsettling. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, but it makes you think quite a lot, and it's so open-ended and open to interpretation as well. There's all sorts of stuff going on, so because you can literally take it as a literal film, you know, this is a story from start to finish. But there's little things in there as well, which suggests a lot of it's a fantasy, yeah. or parts of it are like all imagined in his head, right. um, and there's lots of little things which tie in with the previous incarnations of the Joker in other films, oh, which kind okay. of makes you. Because th- the thing with the Joker, if, I don't know if you read The Killing Joke, yeah, by Alan Moore, the whole thing is that the Joker doesn't have a definitive backstory. Yeah. And so obviously there have been different incarnations of the Joker, and so this is just another one. Yeah. And it kind of weaves it together whereby you could read it as this is just another version of the Joker, not a definitive version of yeah. the Joker. So he can be whichever one of these previous incarnations you uh, can see. Yeah. So it's really interesting the, the way they've done it. And his performance is amazing. Right. I, I know people have been raving about him, and clearly he won the BAFTA at the weekend. Yeah. So I was kind of curious to just see how good he is, and genuinely very good. Um, Definitely on a par with Heath Ledger, maybe even surpasses it. It's really interesting because the mm. first review I saw of that absolutely slated it and said it's a, a misfire, it's an absolute 
farce of a tragedy. Peter Bradshaw and the Guardian by any chance? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it even was. after the BAFTAs at the weekend, he says, I still can't get on board yeah. with this film. Um, Same, it's like one of the biggest flops of the year, it's going to be awful. And then it went on to make a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. It's got all these Oscar mm. and BAFTA noms, and suddenly it did, I did a 180 and I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a look. Yeah. Because. Uh, I mean, there's nothing. There's no one to root for in this. No one's likable. He's, he's not even right. like a, you know an anti-hero right. kind of thing. He's not, not yeah. at all. Um, I, th- I think a couple. Of, one of the influences for this is Taxi Driver, the Travis Bickle yeah. character. Um, so you know, it kind of gives you an idea of just how sinister it can be. Have, um, you, uh, have you seen King of Comedy? I was going to say. I, I think no, but I know obviously that is that, a reference. Yeah. As well. yeah, there is a reference to that. So yeah. and I think um, even the character that Robert De Niro plays in this is sort of like a, Flipped, a yeah, yeah, yeah. A time back to that. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah just, I really do recommend it, even though obviously you have to pay a one-off fee to watch it. Also, yeah, yeah. I think I paid about six pounds something like that. Um, well, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm just going to wait until it's on um, on Blu-ray or DVD. But um, I've put off watching it because I wasn't really in the right, right mindset to watch it. Uh, yeah. Film. Well, I was tempted to buy it on Blu-ray, but I don't think it's out yet, and there was, you could get early access to it via Sky. Yeah. So digital version. You can get it on iTunes for about fourteen quid. I know it's on, like you say, Sky Store. But yeah. So give it a couple of weeks, and you don't have mm. rent it. Yeah, because it was either that or I was going to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we've uh, ah, right. you yeah. know, mentioned a couple which of times already today. But yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do quite fancy that, but I don't know. Just I think because the BAFTAs was on and Joaquin Phoenix was in the news quite a bit, because even before the BAFTAs, he was at some sort of uh, vegan protest or something. Wasn't right. there. So he was he was on my mind. So I just thought, all right, I'll give that a go. And yeah, really glad that I did. Excellent. So that's what I've been watching recently. What I'm looking forward to, I know I'm going to lose it to you now. So <laughs> this is uh, Saturday, the eighth of February, BBC One at four pm. It's Scotland versus England in the Six Nations. Yeah, you've lost it. Yes, so completely <laughs> lost that. Tell us more, Chris. Uh, so, well, I mean, it's an annual tournament, Six Nations, obviously. You've got England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, uh, France, you, and Italy. You say obviously. <laughs> yes, yeah. I know. Well, it's on every year. Okay. And every year, I always think to myself, right, this is it. This year, I'm going to watch every single game. I'm not going to miss one without fail. Right. And in the opening weekend, I managed to watch one of the three games. Ah. Uh, yes, I know. So, but the game that I watched was England versus France, which was a really good game. Uh, France actually beat England. I think it finished 24-17. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a surprise, because... England obviously made it to the World Cup final and narrowly missed out to South Africa. Okay. So and even in the build-up to this game, they were doing thing beforehand. You know, they're talking to England fans who've travelled over to France and saying, right. like, "Oh, what do you think's going to happen?" Kind of thing. Oh, yeah. we're going to win comfortably. So why do you think that? Oh, we just are, aren't we? Uh, and then there was getting a battery in at halftime and had a bit of a fight back and then ended up losing. So but this weekend they are playing Scotland, um, and it's always an interesting fixture. I think they've been playing for this game is always known as the Calcutta Cup game. So they mm. play for Calcutta. Um, I think they've been playing it for about 140 odd years, something wow. like that. That's yeah. exhausted. I know, yeah. Uh, and last year's game was one of the most exciting ones ever. It finished 38 all, and at half time, Scotland were losing 31 7. Mm. So and they were very unlucky not to actually win the game in the end. Mm. Right. So the fact that England have lost their opener, if they lose again this coming weekend to Scotland, then their chances of winning the Six Nations are pretty much over. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, I probably won't watch all three games this weekend, but of the games that are on, I will definitely watch that one. So that's BBC One at 4pm on Saturday the 8th. Uh, film of the week, um, you're going to hate me for this. Uh, but again, this is something, you know how you said you've not seen Reservoir Dogs since you saw it at cinema? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, this is one that I've only seen at cinema and haven't been able to bring myself to watch again since. Drum roll, please. Uh, so this is Wednesday the 12th of February on Channel 4 at 1.20am, so you will have to set up your DVRs if you want to watch this. Right. And it's The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> See, I told you. What? No right. Get out. <laughs> out. I, I was expecting something good. No, because... <laughs> no, 
You I'm saw not, this in the cinema. You yeah, probably right. To see this. this is exactly why I want to watch it again. But you have a fourteen-year-old daughter. But I know. Well, well this is it. So <laughs> myself and a couple of friends, husband and wife, we were doing this thing where right. we said we were going to go to the cinema once a month together because we don't hardly see each other. Right. So they said that each month we'll pick a film that the others have to come and watch as well. Right. So my friend's wife went first, and this was the film she picked. And me and my uh, friend were just like, yeah. really, really, do we have to? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we have to. So we went along. And I was kind of watching it. I was thinking, well, it's fine. It's okay. You know, I know this is really popular. I don't see what the big deal is. Sparkly vampires, and they're not really vampires, but, you know, they are vampires kind of thing. And then there's a twist at the end, which just completely unravels everything you've watched all, for the previous two hours. And it's just it the most all, annoying thing. and makes it the most... Pretty much. No. It's not far off that. It was all idiom. And supposedly that is what happens in the book. Uh, really? How do I know? I've not read the books. Uh, and it just—it was the worst experience <laughs> I've ever had in a cinema in my entire life. And for that reason, I'm kind of tempted to watch it again just to see if it really is that bad. It really is that bad. Yeah. I bet it's not. I bet if you watched it again, it's not that bad. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you'll dislike it, but not yeah. necessarily for the same. Oh reason. my god, it was horrendous. So, like I said, just while I was watching, it's thinking, oh, it's not very good. Oh, this. Could, and I then there's a, there is genuinely a good bit in the film which lasts about ten minutes, and then it's at the end of that, this, this twist comes, and it's just uh, like, right. oh, none of that mattered, and it's right. like, what? What have you done to me? <laughs> so yeah, I got I got a free kind of copy of uh, <laughs> I got a free copy of the first film uh, to review years ago, and I watched it. And mm. I think I ended up giving it to my mate's daughter because it was more of her thing than mine. Yeah, sure. And then. Um, a couple of the stars were like they were actually making the sequel and I was like oh, okay you know I might actually get into this at some point and this yeah. was about 10 or 11 years ago and so I had a chat with them and they were super super enthusiastic about it Kellen Lutz and Peter Facinelli and uh, and then I think I saw it and I thought it's really not my cup of tea <laughs> but the third one David Slade who's one of my favourite directors yes. I really like his work mm. and um, that's the only probably the only one I watched but I did see a chunk of the last ep- the last film this, what, this one that you're on about I could not believe how bad it looked. It's like, it looked like it's um, really bad. It looked like the special effects were knocked up by a kid in his bedroom <laughs> on a laptop, and they probably were. Well, I think what it was because they were trying to churn them out year after year, weren't right. they? Kind of thing. So I, I don't think it's a case of they weren't spending money on it. It's just mm. they were trying to knock it out too it quickly. It was just, it was just too much. The, the yeah. schedule was too tight. Yeah, yeah precisely. Before their audience grew up. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I suppose they so, probably shot them all back to back, didn't they? At the end. Uh, so, well, certainly the last one because. This, the last book was split into two parts, which was obviously what they... Did, this, did they do this before they split Harry Potter's last book into uh, two parts or not? That was 20, 2010, 2011, so... Oh, right, so... Uh, I think this was just afterwards. Yeah, so but obviously they did that with Harry Potter, and then mm. that became a thing which all the studios were doing, weren't they, by if they were adapting books, a series of books, the last book they'll split into two to make more money. Well, yeah, fair so play to them until the commerce, isn't it? Yeah. So, but I mean, because I have actually seen all of the films. Wow. And just as a backstory, so... Congratulations. Uh, yeah, my... <laughs> Uh, my ex-girlfriend used to watch loads of stuff on YouTube and there was a guy who was literally reading the first Twilight book chapter by chapter and reviewing it and it was one of the funniest things we ever used oh, to watch because right. he was just slating it he was like I can't believe someone's got paid to write this and he's yeah. making that much money so through watching those videos and having a laugh we watched the first film together mm. the first film actually wasn't overly bad Yeah. so then because we watched the first one we watched the second one and then the third one which you mentioned I can't remember the name of it but directed by David Slade is genuinely quite good and the opening to it is fantastic is it New Moon or something that rings like a bell yeah, yeah I think it might be that yeah. so the third one I actually liked and then that led into me watching Breaking Dawn Part 1 and then because yeah. I've seen Breaking Dawn Part 1 my friend's wife said oh, okay. oh let's go to the cinema today so like, oh, well I haven't seen the other so we can't really get out of this now <laughs> I, like, I like Robert Pattinson I think he's well that's the other thing so, actor, I think they are actually filming the Batman at they the moment still, aren't they, which they is, is a, yeah, yeah he's a really interesting really actor, actor. I, I mean as far as I'm concerned 
the these films, the Twilight films, are kind of like a blip on his CV. Exactly. The rest of his CV well, is really I interesting. It, He's worked with David Cronenberg. Mm, yeah, like well, that. this is it. So these films sort of made his name and got a fan base for mm. him. And then from that, he's used it to do lots of indie films in yeah. films he's interested in. And then I think it's brought some of his fans to those movies, which has helped get those made. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and if anything, that's probably... And then those indie movies have helped him get the Batman. I think so really it's quite a clever career trajectory, which I think Jamie Dornan probably thought he was going to try and emulate yes, it's when he went down the Fifty Shades route, which ties into Twilight as well, doesn't it? Mm. And that's not really worked out for him either. No. Fifty, yeah. Fifty Shades of meh. Have you seen those? Oh yeah, they're a bit of a guilty pleasure actually, but he's atrocious in them. The last one's horrendous, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's awful. <laughs> I've, only seen, I've only seen the first one. I've first, got, first one, you I kind of get by it. with it. Second one, you think, oh, it's going downhill now. The third one, it's just like, what is this? Dakota Johnson <laughs> is magnificent, but he's atrocious. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and uh, Patterson, uh, I really want to see that uh, Willem Dafoe lighthouse. Oh, yeah, which yeah, is, I think, is that out this weekend or something? Yeah. Yeah, which um, is maybe why. Like, oh, yeah. I think that would be really interesting, but not as much as I want to see Batman. I don't want to see that, the Batman uh, I'm going to say that with a passion because I thought it would be really interesting. Mm. But we'll probably have to wait a year. A couple of years, I think, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, but yeah, so if you are interested, and uh, <laughs> or if you've seen this before and you fancy it again, Wednesday the 12th of February, Channel 4 at 1.20am. I would never have guessed that's the film you were going to choose. No, no. <laughs> that's why, that's why I picked it. If you'd given me a list of every film on this week, yeah. exactly. Well, that's why I had to pick it because, like you said at the intro, if you know, is it West Wing the movie you're watching? So not quite. I, I am, <laughs> I, I'm so glad we didn't know in advance. <laughs> My goodness. Anyway, that's it from us this week. So you have been listening to Sarah Morgan, Chris Daniel, and Roger Pro. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.